Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. After Saudi Arabia decided to cut oil production last week, DC lawmakers were shocked. Just absolutely shocked and outraged that our supposed friends would do such a thing. Now, the Biden administration is reconsidering our relationship with the Saudis. But is this move by OPEC and its Russia-led partners really a surprise? Should we be shocked? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. Think again. We're really pleased to have joining us on the program today. Daniel DePetris is a fellow at Defense Priorities and a foreign affairs columnist for the Chicago Tribune and for Newsweek as well. Great piece in Newsweek. And uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on with us today. And uh, when I first read your piece, I I immediately thought, okay, this is like the let's get rid of the shocked face (laughs) surprise when it comes to dealing with oil and uh, cuts and and why people do the things that they do. Uh, But give us a sense. Obviously, a lot of reaction, a lot of political. Political reaction and drama around uh, the cut uh, of oh, two million barrels uh, of oil a day coming out of OPEC. Give us some backstory, and then give us the case for why nobody should have a shock face on this one. The two million barrel per day cut is, is certainly a shock in Washington in, in respect to uh, just the feeling of it. You know, at a time when the Americans were sort of uh, getting used to lower gas prices, we now have the probability that they'll probably increase as we head into the winter, uh, partly because of this cut. That's probably, you know, that's the main outrage in, in, in D.C., and it's perfectly understandable. But as I say in, in the piece, it's not surprising at all because, you know, OPEC and, and its partner nations in, in Russia and several other countries, you know, they're, they're a money-making enterprise. But their whole reason for being is to um, increase their profit margin and to make sure their budgets are as fat as possible. So while, while you know, Americans are, are understandably frustrated and upset about this, it's sort of like being shocked when, you know, the geese fly south for the winter. It's not exactly surprising. Yeah. It shouldn't be, at least. Yeah, that's right. And and, uh, and that the, these uh, entities will, will operate in their own best interest as opposed to our best interest uh, should not be a, a surprise either. Uh, and, and as you looked at that, and again, to me, this is not a, a left-right, uh, although it is going to get played that way as we march towards the midterms. Uh, there are things that we have to look at significantly in terms of what does this actually mean. Obviously, it's going to have uh, an impact on what we choose to do next, uh, besides the initial complaint about it. What does come next? Right. I mean, there's, there's been a, a variety of ideas that lawmakers and policymakers are talking about now over the last week. Uh, one idea is just to penalize the Saudis for, for a decision that, you know, is, is contrary to the U.S. interest. And so you have several pieces of legislation that are kind of circulating on Capitol Hill right now. Uh, one would withdraw all U.S. troops and military equipment from the kingdom. And then you have another that would essentially freeze U.S. arms sales for about 12 months. You know, these are purely punitive steps. Whether they would actually compel the Saudis to rethink their oil, oil policy is probably dubious, you know, at best. But, but I think you're seeing here the administration is sort of scrambling for ideas, and there isn't an obvious one that comes to mind. And that's part of the problem uh, in the White House. Yeah, and I, I do think that uh, whether that's withdrawing troops uh, doesn't seem to 
help our interests in terms of stability in that region of the world. And and uh, obviously, they're going to look at things like the strategic oil uh, reserve has to be back on the table in terms of uh, pumping some there. But we know that's not going to make a huge impact uh, in terms of those kind of day-to-day prices that uh, Americans are feeling. What what else is out there in terms of levers that, that can be moved? Or, or how else should the administration be thinking about this or approaching this, uh, especially as we march into winter? Right. Well, look, I mean, this is a problem where solutions are kind of few and far between it's it's basically at least in my opinion it's a it's a question of how you manage how do you manage it yeah. and i think one of the reasons you manage it is dipping into the strategic petroleum reserve which we've done uh since march mainly as a response to the russian you know operations in ukraine and uh we, we've i believe the number at last time i checked was something like 160 million barrels have been released uh mm-hmm. from the petroleum reserve mm-hmm. since March. So that, that's that's a pretty significant number. You know, really, U.S. policymakers, as I kind of point out here, the U.S. policymakers, the best thing they could do is just to always be on guard for these, these types of actions. You know, the Saudis and the Russians and the Emiratis, they make their oil policy based on what is in their best interests um, at the time. And typically, they do that. They weigh their own interests more than whatever the U.S. president asks at a given time. So that's that's really what we need to remember. The more prepared we are, the less shocked we be, will be and the less um, you know emotionally outraged we'll be. Yeah, and the less disruption I think we, we experience on the on the back end of, of all of those. As you look at it, and this is some of the, the things you get to in your Newsweek piece, uh, is looking into the, the dynamic with Vladimir Putin. Obviously, that's uh, impacted oil markets as well. Uh, also rolling, you know, as that war continues to to creep along, and again as winter hits Europe, and a lot of those European nations are also going to start to feel that in a in a big way. Uh, are there other things that we should be doing uh, to to mitigate that shock factor in terms of uh, energy independence here at home, uh, or other things we need to look at for uh, for other allies around the world? Well, it's it's a tough question, obviously, because it's a simple question, but it's a very tough question at the same time. Because whenever you get into, you know, what should the United States do on the energy aspect, uh, you get politics involved. Right. You know? So you have some people who say we should pretty much just cut out carbon uh, emissions completely or, you know, significantly reduce them and switch toward green energy, which is obviously, a, you know, a long term solution. And you have others who understandably say, we, you know, the United States needs to increase domestic oil production. You know, while that not, might not be a great solution over the long term for the climate or for sustainability, it will help at least on the margins in the short term. So it's a very difficult uh, question, and it gets into the typical political back and forth you get on Capitol Hill. So, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why, why uh, moves like this tend to we tend to have more complaints than solutions. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, for sure. And this is one of those uh, where I think we could all get it into uh, not being surprised that the the extremes of both the political parties uh, will make hay out of this and probably do a lot of fundraising uh, off of this particular issue. Uh, and to me, it's one of those where uh, really to the heart of, of what I think you were getting at in your piece, Daniel, is that let's let's not be surprised by these kinds of things. And let's start looking at what are the, the different solutions where we can have an and conversation as opposed to a you know a fake fight a false choice and and a lot of drama but as you said no real solutions uh, to where we can be stewards of the environment and we can have energy independence uh, those can be carved out if uh, we get the right interests in mind rather than just waiting and 
being surprised when others act in their own interest and maybe not in the U.S. best interest or the best interest of the climate. Right. And step one, I believe, just really quick, is just to remember that our relationship with Saudi Arabia specifically is not one between an ally and an ally. Mm. Saudi Arabia is not an ally. It's it's a partner on very specific issues uh, like counterterrorism, you know, missile defense against the Iranians, stuff like that. You know, and, and to treat them as an ally and to assume that we have some obligation to them, uh, like we have an obligation to NATO, for instance. You know, when you when you're starting off a very when you're starting off on an inaccurate assumption, you're not mm. going to get a great policy choices. Yeah, uh, I, I love that, and I think you you nailed it. It's that ally versus a, a partner. Uh, and yes, we'll tag team on uh, counterterrorism and some of those things, uh, and we have to compete head to head in a host of others. I I actually think you pointed out what I I think is one of the real. Uh, tests of leadership in the 21st century is can you navigate allies and partnerships uh, and know the difference uh, and when to de- deploy it. Uh, great insight to Daniel DePetris, fellow at Defense Priorities, a foreign affairs columnist for the Chicago Tribune and for Newsweek. Great piece in Newsweek. Check that out today as well. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So allies versus partners, that's the leadership quality you have to understand and then you'll never be surprised. And so we have to do that as it relates to Saudi Arabia. We have to deal with that when it comes to China, when it comes to Russia. We compete. We go head to head on a host of things and we need to be partners on other things. But knowing how to navigate that, when to navigate it, uh, is the difference between leading, following and being surprised. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio.